general nerdery. So I've fallen deep into the last podcast on the left. This has nothing to do with the upcoming episode. I just need to admit this. Mm-hmm. I've fallen deep into last podcast on the left and I've gone from like, oh, the Rasputin ones, which are like dark, but you know, to like on the way up the stairs, I was listening to the Son of Sam episodes yeah, and like min, 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 uh, min, Ed Gein earlier today and stuff. And I was oh, like, oh, the butcher of Plainview. I'm like, Plainfield? Oh, Plainview? Plainfield, Field. I think. Okay. But I'm like, oh, good. I've like listened to the stories of like six hardcore serial killers in the last like 48 hours. So I'm in the perfect mindset to talk about Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) Just totally connected. I'm sure. Uh, Anyways, welcome to general nerdery, uh, your podcast about liking things where your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And, uh, well, we're here to talk about, Season, uh, not season workers. That's a very season different Season workers. Oh, it's the end of my work week, guys. Uh, Miracle Workers season three. But before that, what have we been ingesting this week? What have we? So, uh, continuing with the theme, I have been mostly playing more Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. Like, that's been taking up quite a bit of my time. I have been super enjoying it. It's... Like, one, I'd played a ton of times. Two, I had played maybe a third of, but then also watched an old roommate play most of. So I knew some of what was coming, but, like... This is the one that you haven't played about. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of fun. I could probably initiate going into, like, more of the in-game sequence at any point right now. I'm not going for, like, super 100%, but there's a couple things that I haven't done it before, and I'm like, ooh, this still seems interesting. I'm going to go do this first. Well, and there's a balance between, like, I am just doing storytelling and I am trying for every little fucking Riddler trophy in, on Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. That's the only game I've ever actually come that... One of two that I've come that close to 100% on, so... And then it's going to be weird, like, I'm going to guess that next weekend I'm going to beat it and go into three. That should be fun. Just based on where I'm at now and sort of what I know is about left. And These are the remakes, right? The, mm-hmm. the yeah, 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 the Legendary Edition and stuff. And then along with that, like, um, I finally finished the the new season of Ted Lasso. I've been putting off the last few episodes to watch with my partner. I have so many thoughts. Uh, we will be doing a Ted Lasso episode... Oh, soonish? Yeah, soonish. I think it's like three episodes away. Something like that. I don't know. I know that we talked about it and figured it out, but I don't remember what it yeah. is off the top of my head. Um, no, that. So I'm glad I. For a show I love that much, it was very painful holding off and being like, no, I'll wait to watch it with you. For a show I love that much, it was very painful to keep up with it, too. Um. <laughs> Um, oh, actually, with Ted Lasso, quick story on this one. Yeah. Because I shared my copy with Steven, mm-hmm. who shared it with other people around. And I did not know this, but it's become like a form of currency around the uh, deli kitchen at the, okay. the place that I work, that people have just been loaning it to each other. <laughs> and uh, one of my coworkers the other day, as I walked past, went, Zach, I owe you pie. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is a guy that, like, I know him, I like him, I've known him for a long time, but it, we've never really, like, you know, a couple of friendly conversations, yeah. but not, like, you know, my other work friends that I podcast with a lot, like you. And I was like, what? why would you owe me pie? And he goes, because of Ted Lasso. I'm like, that doesn't actually explain anything. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if know. you would have said biscuits with the boss, I would have said, but I'm not your boss. <laughs> no, he outranks me. Um, and also, like, I don't know why he decided pie. 
I'm not unhappy about this. No. This is fucking great for me. But why? Why? And then yesterday, he must have come in uh, to the grocery store on his day off to actually do shopping because I get back from my lunch break and there's now two slices of pie just sitting on my desk saying, thanks again, written on. I'm like, what kind of pie? Uh, strawberry rhubarb and the peach. Okay. I like the peach. I'm only okay on the strawberry. I mean, I'm very thankful for the pie and it's still very good. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's the best flavor. Free. Yeah. <laughs> but sorry. Anyways, I interrupted. I just... No, I mean... <laughs> Getting caught up on Ted Lasso, uh, finished off the latest season of What We Do in the Shadows, which, yeah, wow, that was an emotional season. Um, <laughs> which you wouldn't expect from What We Do in the Shadows, but here we are. I didn't and expect that about the movie either, but there we were. I know, I don't know if, I don't even think we brought it up on, on air, but like two recording sessions of this show ago, I think, we brought up, at least off air, that, they, oh, like, oh, they dropped a Young Justice trailer. I didn't realize that that was the same week they dropped the first episode. Like oh, we're yeah, we're right. five weeks in now, and so I got all caught up on Young Justice. Ooh, that's fun. I still need to watch season three. Uh, and it's an interesting season that also just punched me right in the feels. Last episode I watched, which was I got spoiled on that on accident, but we'll not go into it. I was like, ugh. The storytelling and pacing of the season up to that point was weird, but I don't think that part would have hit as hard without the choices they were making. Well, and it seems like ever since they went off of, like, regular television, because they were, what, Cartoon Network originally? Shit, I don't even remember. I think it was Cartoon Network before it went on to uh, fucking wherever it is now, HBO. HBO Max. And streaming. Mm -hmm. uh, that. Like, they were already being pretty wild, and then they were like, oh, we don't have to worry about cable anymore. We'll do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, and the show is definitely more mature. Not in, like, Harley Quinn mature way. <laughs> I would have concerns if they decided <laughs> to just be like, now we're Harley Quinn in the universe now. But it's also making for some, like, a lot darker watching than before sometimes. And just not as overall happy of a time watching that show as, like, first half of season one when it was for kids. Yeah, <laughs> even second half. I mean, season two, we were already like, whoa, buddy. Did they just, did Aqualad just, did it, who, what? Um, yeah, no, I'm enjoying it, though. It's just, it's been weird. They have, have made some weird storytelling telling choices this season, I feel. I'm kind of, I mean, I, having not seen it, not having an opinion, I'm kind of okay with that in the same way that I'm okay with a lot of, you know, same way Legends of Tomorrow is like, yeah, we're based off DC comic properties, but we don't feel overly beholden to... I guess, uh, so, this is a, this doesn't have any spoilers. I guess the first four episodes are 95% Connor, McGann, and Gar, and... That's it. That's too much Connor McGann and Gar. I understand what you're saying, and big stuff happening, yada, 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 but um, I like all three of those But, mm. yeah, Part of see? the reason why Young Justice is so good is it did the same thing Justice League Unlimited did, where, like, we have a cast of, like, 40, and we're fucking pulling it off. 
Let's see. What about myself? Uh, video game-wise, I keep promising my buddy who lent me Red Dead Redemption 2 that I'm going to play it, and then I keep playing something else. <laughs> and it's super good. But, like, you know, my roommate was playing Breath of the Wild. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know where you are. That's awesome. And then I spent, like, three hours yesterday fucking tracking down ingredients so I can upgrade a shirt, because apparently you need, like, bat wings and lizards. <laughs> For that, because that game is insane. Yeah. It's fucking great. I will stand by Breath of the Wild forever, but <laughs> like if if you try to explain it to someone who doesn't know. Um, and then, oh God, uh, I watched the first, it's technically two episodes, but it's one of those like two is one of oh, Star Trek Prodigy? Prodigy. How was that? I haven't watched it yet. I've been meaning to. It's baller. Okay. Um, I hear episode two slash three. I'm just, it's episode three. Uh, becomes a lot more Star Trekky. Okay. Because these are people; these are kids in the Delta Quadrant, so like where Voyager gets thrown to, who don't even—they've never even heard of the Federation before. Mm. They see, they find a Starfleet ship, and they don't recognize. They're just like, "Oh, it's a ship." It, you know, the idea of Starfleet means nothing to them. Okay. So. I can see how it's going to feel Trek, but it doesn't feel Trek in the way that we're used to. Because every other Star Trek works from the basis of Starfleet and goes out from there. Even Picard, where he's not serving as a member of Starfleet in it, he's still Jean-Luc Picard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is completely different. It feels very... I've seen people say, like, very critically, like, oh, it's Star Trek Clone Wars or Star Trek Rebels. Mm, mm -hmm. Why are you saying that like it's a bad thing? It's a cartoon to bring in new viewers to the franchise that we love while creating absolutely gorgeous animatics. And in the case of Clone Wars and Rebels, some of the high points of the franchise. Like, yes, please make Star Trek Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Get the, like, I mean, so I'm I'm down just from seeing the animation so far. Everything you're saying just makes me more down. I just haven't carved out the time to watch it myself yet. I'm watching the next episode tonight. Oh, I watched the first episode of Doctor Who as well of the new season. Mm. It's good. It's very good, actually. It is not at all a standalone episode, which we knew it wasn't going to be. But I didn't know if it was going to be like, here's an overarching plot and each... You know, here's a, a mini enemy we defeat in each one still. No. There is no beginning little and, like, full storyline in it. It's a setup in a okay. lot of ways. Not a bad thing. I very much enjoyed it. I liked the new species. Jody is a delight, as she always is. Cool. Uh, but the real thing I was going to mention was I watched part one of Masters of the Universe Revelations. Yeah, I knew you It did. was fucking sweet. It's great, right? Yeah, no, I was texting <laughs> you about it. They made me have feelings about Orko, and I will never forgive Kevin Smith. Dude. Yeah. Like, what the fucking fuck? Orko. Orko. I also like hats off to of Griffin Newman for uh, for voicing Orko. Oh, yeah, he killed it. Also, I just kept thinking of, like, Lena Headey playing Evil Lynn, who I'm sure signed on because they were offering her good money for easy work. Like, I... I ex- extremely doubt that fucking Lena Headey was like, yes, I am a longtime fan of the Masters of the Universe franchise. I've been like <laughs> a committed watcher since the 80s. She was like, you're going to pay me money? Sure. Who's my character? Evil Lynn? Yeah, that sounds easy. And then she gets fucking pathos. Like, 
How exciting does that have to be as an actor? Yeah, um, I wouldn't have guessed that Stinkor was JMU's. I thought that, like, he fucking completely killed it in, like, the three minutes he was on screen. I did not realize that was Jason Mewes. Um, Henry Rollins is Triclops. I knew that one and I forgot about it. Um, fucking Justin Long as, what's his name? Uh, oh, uh, wannabe man-at-arms, robot yeah. man-at-arms, son-brother thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who I also had feelings about. Crazy, right? Oh, and the trailer for Fart, the for part two. For fart good. two. For fart two. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, no, we're very much lo- seeing that trailer was where I went. Okay, I have to watch this. It's not hard. CC heard that it was really good, and our buddy Grizz, who lives with us mm-hmm. now, he was on our after episode, was like, she was so she was like, okay, like I'll watch this, but you know, it's fucking. It's Masters of the Universe. I don't care. I don't. I've I mean, all, I went into it like I don't really care. So all she knew about Masters of the Universe was that it somehow connected to She-Ra. Okay. Yeah. And she only knew that because she heard the word Eternia. So she's like, "Where is this?" And we're like, "It it doesn't." And you could, I could just see her like interest disappearing <laughs> as it disconnected from like the most recent She-Ra. And I'm like, "No, no, should still be good." Oh, the fact that Mark Hamill was playing Skeletor. And she loves Mark Hamill, and she loves any meme involving Skeletor. She has no, she had no yeah. idea who Skeletor was. Just weird Skull Man, because it's that meme format of like he says something weird and, and it shows him away. like running away. Fucking top tier meme. <laughs> <laughs> so she loved Skeletor, but I don't think she knew who Skeletor was. Right. I almost found Hamill distracting as Skeletor, but <laughs> he was still amazing. <laughs> Sometimes Hamill. Voices every, I mean, there's times where it's hard to tell it's Hamill, but sometimes Hamill just plays Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. But evil Mark Hamill is such a fun villain archetype that I don't care. Yes. In the same way that, like, I don't give a fuck about the Joker, but Mark Hamill's Joker is still the best one by a lot. Or uh, he was a Skeksy. And yes. he was just... He was not sounding anything like any of the original Skeksis. He just sounded like Mark Hamill. <laughs> but, but I didn't care because okay. he was fucking Mark Hamill. <laughs> uh, no, I'm super excited for part two. Um, Animation was gorgeous. Jesus Christ, it looked good. Tila is bae, I guess. <laughs> I don't... I'm trying to think what else are... Because I watched it when it first dropped, and now I'm trying to... Eh. Whatever. This isn't an episode on Motu. Her companion buddy, black techno lady. I'm sorry. Uh, Tila's like the only name I have. Tila and Evelyn. Um, Uh, Andra, I believe. Yes. She was great. And as I was watching those two interact, I was like, oh, yeah, I see why the neckbeards fucking hate this show. (laughs) I don't know if Kevin Smith was purposely designing it to piss them off, but like whether purposeful or not, it was just fucking built for it. Look, I now that you've seen it, you know what, like, there were parts that He-Man didn't have to be in that show, and they intentionally made sure that he was in every episode. Oh, yeah. No, for people like, He-Man didn't appear at all. I'm like, he was in every... He was in, like, everything in that first half revolved around him. Every moment of that show was about He-Man, because even when... You know, it was like, even when it wasn't people actively remembering him, the hole in Eternia that was He-Man missing was like 
I can't believe those actors made me care about He-Man fucking dying. <laughs> Every time I think about something I like about that show, I get a little mad. Oh, um, the, oh God, I can't think of his name. The cat that actually played He-Man also did a great job. Mm-hmm. He was Monel on Supergirl. Oh, I heard he was not great as Monel, but that wasn't his fault. No, it's not his fault. <laughs> Monel was just not a good character in that show. God damn, yeah. <laughs> Which Chris. is hilarious because he ended up marrying fucking yeah. um, uh, Melissa uh, Benoist. Thank you. God, yeah, I, I was don't about, have names today. I was about to say he's Mr. Benoist. <laughs> <laughs> news. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that that's perfectly goes into some of our news because you watched that after seeing the trailer for part two. We watched a couple other trailers yeah. to go along with our news uh, because we had a Morbius trailer drop after a year. I guess let's start with that. I don't care i thought this trailer looked better than the last trailer yes i'm more interested i think the when effects turns, that they have like how his powers are being used are neat if not they're silly looking sometimes but it's neat well, ideas I mean, fucking morbius. okay the biggest problem is morbius the living vampire is a great name for a fucking mediocre character mm-hmm. and then they gave him to jared leto he was a fine actor. I don't actually have a problem with Leto as an actor, but he's kind of a weird, creepy fucking dude. I'm um, surprised. <laughs> this is the weirdest. The thing that I'm happiest about from the Morbius trailer is they are letting Leto have just a ton of fucking body in his hair. And it just reminds me of like comic book il- illustrations. Oh, yeah. When he turns his face and has the full white in the nose like that was spot on Morbius. Mm-hmm. Problem is, Morbius, in my opinion, is one of those characters that is always better in theory than execution. Yeah, I I don't know how they plan on Morbius holding down a whole movie by himself. He can't hold down a fucking ten issue comic book series. He couldn't hold down a fucking episode of Amazing Spider Man. Yeah, they have like, to bring in Blade. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking like, where's Mahershala? Like. Um, the main thought I had of this is I was telling you about this. I've, I've read a couple of just like weird shitty takes one from someone that had some fucking terrible. It was like on the Atlantic from the Atlantic though. Uh, and then one from a writer I actually do like, Mm -hmm. and both of them were just like the comic book format is dead. Not format, but like the comic book movie genre is dead. It's not though. Based on what? (laughs) And I'm like, based off this Morbius trailer looking only okay and Eternals being kind of a flop that made $70 million in its first weekend. Yeah, number one movie at the box office, like number two movie of the year. Not great reviews, but it was also the fucking Eternals. Yeah. And also, the reviews aren't bad. They're just... They're just... eh, You know, because it's the Eternals. Um, I love Jack Kirby. It is his most difficult concept to make work. Not, I'm sorry, but not the point. Like, one be like, okay, these bad movies might have come out. How many fucking bad, like, even Fast and the Furious movies? Just Fast and the Furious. Yeah, this is like the first four. Five. I liked the first one, but it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I don't like, know. Like if it holds two up. through four aren't yeah, that good. No. But we're not like the Faust car or anything to do with Vin Diesel or like action movie format is dead. We don't even think that fucking franchise is dead. Because it's not. No. 
But I do need to get caught up on those. Fucking Shang Chi came out fucking a month ago. Was badass, and even these reviews that were like, Marvel needs to mercy kill itself because it's far past time. It sucks now. But admittedly, Shang-Chi kicked a lot of ass. And I'm like, then you just ruined your entire fucking arguments. I still need to go see Eternals, but... Yeah, so do I. I haven't seen it, but, like, I'm not claiming that I'm fucking, like, an obsessive mm-hmm. of this... I mean, we talk about it. I, it took me, what, four years to watch fucking Avengers? Yeah, yeah, it took but, No. This genre is not dying. It's <laughs> not going anywhere for a long time. Of the actual trailer, though, my only thought is... It's going to be really confusing how they seem to be trying to fit it both into the MCU and like this kind of independent Sony. Well, that's what I was going to bring up. So there's a really quick flick. Uh, we get a very, very quick uh, bit of what, like Raimi versus J. Jonah. We see the vulture. He mentions Venom. They also be like, this is the biggest thing to happen since San Francisco, which is Venom. Which is Venom. Um, there's a poster. Of Spider-Man. Which is. Was the Rainy or was that no, the that's McGuire? that's Garfield, I believe. Not McGuire, sorry. Garfield, yeah. I think it's a mistake to. I mean, this comes out after No Way Home. I they know. It might make sense after that. It just seems so weird to try and. I almost feel, and we've talked about this before with, like, the mutants, I don't want a big reality-changing reset to make everything work. We just put Venom in, and I know that they've done their own thing, go watch Venom 2, yada, 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 but and just have, you know, a throwaway line in a Spider-Man movie about that crazy shit in San Francisco, and bam, it's part of the continuity now. I still don't think that would work with mutants, but... <laughs> it's hard, it was hard enough to explain why Batman was fighting Superman and Batman versus Superman for my parents. Like, I don't want to have to explain the fucking secret wars. (laughs) Either one. (laughs) I don't have much to say about Leto. He's a, he's a good actor in general. Like, I know people don't like his Joker, but I think that's also more with the script than, I mean, he's also a douche, but like, yeah, my biggest issue with Leto is he's a weird cult leader. Like, yeah, but he can act his ass off. Sure. I'm curious to see what he does. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I'm curious to see. He's an actor that makes choices. <laughs> Whether you agree with those choices, this is up to you. He will commit to those fucking choices, though. And if you don't like his choices, you can go watch his ass get beat and fucking fight club again. So is he in fight club? Yeah, I haven't seen that since college. Yeah, he's the one towards the end that he, that they beat the shit out of for looking too perfect. <laughs> Appropriate. Um, what do we got next? Uh, I mean, we might as well keep on the trailers. Boba Fett. Yeah. This one I'm all for. Uh, yeah, Book of Boba Fett looks. Well, I mean, it looks like more Mandalorian. Yeah, well, but Robert, not really. Robert Rodriguez is the showrunner on this one. Yeah, Bob Rod. Um, I do think Filoni might also be an, uh, an executive producer. Uh, Filoni and Favreau are both executive producing still, so they're still yeah. involved. But They're not just letting Bob Rod run wild, which, even though I love him, would probably not be a good idea. No, no not at all. It's fucking Star Wars and Disney. They're not going to let Bob Rod just go nuts. But... I'm actually not too worried. I'm not even a huge Bob Rod 
fan, but we know he's got range. We know he can do crime, and we know he can do stuff for kids because he did the fucking Spy Kids movie. Yes. Which continues to confuse me. <laughs> but I kind of love, I don't even like those movies. I didn't like them when I was a kid and they came out. But I like that he was like, I yeah, make some shit for my kids. Yeah, and Shark Boy and Love Girl in 3D. Did not like that one. I was a little old by the point time that that one came out for the target audience. Um, I some oh, I've been reading uh, Battle Angel Alita. Oh yeah. So I got reading about Alita, mm-hmm. and apparently he recently was said like, if I do well on Book of Boba Fett, they will probably let me do Alita, and I'm just hoping. Yes, because they need to at least. <sighs> they don't have to adapt all of it, but they need to cap it off. Like you need to get her to, to fairies anyway. To, to any of the various awesome things, God Alita is good. Yes. Oh. Oh, I hadn't read it in years. I forgot how good this is. Not the point of the podcast. We're gonna keep going, Zach. Um, Book of Boba Fett. Fennec Shand is as intimidating and as Mingna Wen as ever. So wonderful. Like, um, this is. It looks like what? It looks like it's gonna be Godfather Boba Fett, right? Yeah. Like, it's just him consolidating his power across the underworld. At least across Tatooine. Mm -hmm. He's decided that being a bounty hunter's for suckers, so he's going to be something bigger. We see Trandoshans and Athorians and the weird dog-looking face guys. uh, And we see him murder with a gaffy stick again, which I'm all for. Yes. (laughs) Everything about it looks great. I just, I want to see more already. Well. And not just more to like, no, like I'm excited. I just want to see more. <laughs> that will be soon mm-hmm. because it comes out what, next month? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also um, shot by Dave Klein, the guy who uh, got his big breakout, which didn't help his career. From Kevin Smith. He shot Clarks at the age of like 19. Wait, how did that hurt his career? Because Clerks is not known for its cinematography. It's a stationary camera for most of the fucking flick. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> he was 19 in a fucking New Jersey quick stop. Okay, that's fair. Actually, both sides of this are fair. I understand. Yeah. They're like, eh, fucking Clerks, I guess. But everyone's got to start somewhere. But he's and- amazing, and he's he's shot a ton of shit, actually. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of things that people have seen that, like... Because I think he did a bunch of Deadwood. I think he did a bunch of True Blood. Like I've seen Kevin Smith talk about him being like, how the fuck did you get as good as you did, starting with me? And Book of Boba Fett is the reason why he wasn't available to shoot Clerks 3 for Kev. Oh, but fair. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure Kev has that exact same response. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a bummer, but Book of Boba Fett, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, you have fucking pulled it off. I wonder if Ben Affleck's going to show up in it. Yeah, probably yeah. not. I wouldn't be surprised. It'd be though. funny, though. Anyways, um, I don't have too much on it because Star Wars, like, there, there's not much that we don't already know. He's being a crime lord. But he's looking really cool while being a crime lord. And interestingly, he is trying to be... What was that line? It was the one part that really stuck out to me. Um, Jabba ruled through fear. I will rule through respect or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, something like that. Like, he's... I mean, he's still Boba. Immediately after that, we see him kill someone with a gaffy stick. So, like, it's still fucking well, Boba Fett. But and we don't see how 
the entirety of him sitting down at the table with the crime lords plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only see him saying that he will listen to them, but I was getting hardcore like Kill Bill Oren Ishii vibes from the way that scene was playing out from what we There's did There's like see. an 80% chance that someone dies in that scene. Yes, because they say something fucked up to Boba. Or they or to decide Fennec. to attack. Yeah, <laughs> especially Fennec. Like, I feel like he'd get real protective of Fennec. Mm-hmm. I love that pairing. I did not expect to love that pairing as much as I do. And I like him still sort of rocking only, like, the half-Mando armor look, where he still has, like, the flowing robes going underneath Yeah, he's wearing shit, the armor, like... but he doesn't have, like, the jumpsuit anymore. He's wearing the... It's a post-Jedi gets his shit back Boba is a really... It's a better look than the traditional Boba Fett, and the traditional Boba Fett's one of the strongest designs in the history of science fiction, so... Yeah. Um, so excited. That's going to be cool. Uh, sh- Let's see. Let's uh, let's end on our science note because it's kind of a happier note. I feel like we've skipped one. Yeah, I know. Because uh, before we get to our science note, I was going to bring up just really quickly because it was a slow news week, so we don't have much else to talk about. We have. Hmm? I guess we could do Cowboy Bebop, but again, also it's like yeah. Boba Fett. it looks cool. I it, look forward to watching it. It looks like it's not exactly, but close. Uh, yeah, in a way that I am actually feeling quite a bit. Ava DuVernay actually made some comments on what might have kind of went on with New Gods getting got canceled. Canceled. Yeah. I think it got, it got canceled, a f- I want to say towards the beginning of the year, there was like a slate of cancellations, and that was one of them. I never thought this movie was going to get- Oh, it got canceled at the same time that the Trench movie got canceled. I remember because James Wan clarified that the Trench movie was actually a secret Black Manta movie. I forgot they were going make a trench movie which they weren't they were making a secret black man either movie. way like I forget, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um anyway duvernay th- this was a this is a weird one because she doesn't exactly say what happened but there's only one other property that she could be talking about so i just like dc comics i love new gods which is that project that got axed duvernay recently explained The studio decided that they did not want to pursue a certain part of that comic world based on some things that were going on with another film in that world. So before I was even able to kind of complete my script with Tom King, they axed it. So Cyborg and Justice League and... So Snyder Cut axed New Gods is what she's saying. Because that's the only other... Because that's the only other project that was using any of the New Gods. Anything connected to the New Gods. That being said, I've seen a lot of people immediately being like, fuck the Snyder Cut coming out and taking this away from us. Like, um, fucking Wrinkle Wrinkle in Time was kind of a disappointment. And they weren't even complete with the first fucking script. I'm not actually, like, I know I literally just said fucking Snyder Cut. Mm-hmm. I, I was pretty open if I wasn't wild about it in the first place, even if I had fun watching it. I don't actually feel that. Sure, whatever. They were never going to make the new gods. Come yeah. on. The thing is, you you need to not make the new gods unless you have a fucking plan in place. I say that as the Eternals is coming out, so I really should shut my damn mouth. But um, but it seems like Marvel at least has a plan in place. Yeah. We know that DC's fucking fumbling, been fumbling, trying to catch up for years. Yeah, because they're too determined that it has to be a Marvel universe. Anyways, 
I was excited. I mean, Tom King wrote the most critically acclaimed New Gods thing since probably the Jack Kirby run. Mm-hmm. Like, since New Gods uh, with his Mr. Miracle series that's supposed to just be absolutely fantastic. I have not bought it. I've gone into the store several times to buy it and then walked out with different books because I always stop by the like new releases section first and I got to stop doing that. But um, here's the thing. If they would have uh, announced they were doing a Mr. Miracle movie, I'd be a lot more excited and a lot more confident that they oh, would yeah. actually get it done. Announcing new gods in the first place. I was like, that's probably not going to happen. New gods. And it got axed. But like they said, they weren't even done with the first script. Well, and Tom King, his Batman run was so divisive that I'm not surprised that they're not advertising. Because if the uh, Batman run had ended on as high a point as it started on, they'd be like, Tom King, uh, written by Tom King. They're not. They don't fucking want to do that. Which is too bad, because both that run and Tom King are pretty great. But um, a Mr. Miracle movie could work. I mean, just a brightly colored... I fucking hate to give another thing to I want to see Taika do, but Taika movie like Thor Ragnarok style, but Mr. Miracle. Speaking of Taika, did you see the, the announcement that he got this week? He's doing something. Uh, the ink call. I don't know what that is. That's the uh, Mobius Yodorowsky comic. Oh, shit. OK, so this falls under. Taika has signed on for so Many projects that he's becoming our new GDT. Yeah, I'll believe it when I fucking see it. But also, please do Mm -hmm. in the same way that I want your Star Wars movie in the same way that, well, we already know Love and Thunder is happening because. Yeah, because it's in production. Yeah, Um, I want your fucking Blackbeard TV show or whatever it is that you're doing. He had some pirate thing coming up. Like he's, which I think that's for sure happening as well, because I think they're in post on that. He admitted that he's had conversations with DC comics fucking doing a Jodorowsky Mobius. All of these are great. I just, I kind of wish we stopped make, I say when we're doing a news part of our podcast, That we would stop making such news about like, well, they announced this movie is getting made because by the nature of the industry, a lot of things that enter the pre-production never make it to production. So I don't want to get too many hopes up. And even when they do, we might not see it for a while. Yeah. Like New Mutants. That had its whole host of stuff. Although within the next month or two, we're going to watch that for Word Balloons and I'm kind of excited yeah, for it, too. even though it's not supposed to be good at all. Um, Sometimes it's just fun to watch a bad movie. So here's the other thing. I think if they're going to do New Gods, they should plan on doing two, like do a trilogy and do two complete movies that don't connect at all to the greater DC universe. Do it in the fourth world. Call it fucking good. New Gods was never intended to be part of the wider DC universe. Well, okay, that's not entirely true. They first appeared in fucking Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. But like, for the most part, they were not, they were intended to be their own little thing. That's what they should do. Treat them as their own thing. Yeah. Look, Dune. All of us nerds will know who who they are. Dune was just that huge fucking movie. We are willing to go watch weird druggy sci-fi. That's New God's fucking bag, baby. Yeah. 
New Gods is Jack Kirby and Dune, but with like less sand and more acid. <laughs> Which is funny, because as far as I can tell, Jack Kirby did not do drugs. You would not believe it from his illustrations. <laughs> that man did not need drugs, I think, is kind of the world we find ourselves in. Anyway, that's that's what there was about that. Yeah. Not the biggest thing, but also like it was kind of weird that it was even brought up. It was mostly yeah. Uh, our final one. We have a science, and you actually have the numbers on this, so I'm gonna let you. The HPV vaccine has cut cases of cervical cancer by eighty-seven percent, according to the first real-world study published in the Lancet. Uh, since England began vaccinating female, female pupils in 2008, cervical cancer has now successfully been almo almost been eliminated in now adult women. Vaccines work, you dickheads. I'm sorry, if you're listening to this fucking show, you probably already know that, but... I'm trying to remember... 87% is a fucking miracle. Well, I'm trying to remember, there was a push for when we were young, and I think I might have gotten HPV when I was in, like, fifth grade. I don't remember. It's entirely possible. Because this is one that, uh, although these numbers are mostly talking about uh, cervical cancer in females, uh, males should get it as well because we can be carriers. Yeah. And HPV is, or at least was, like, you know, 20 years ago, remarkably common. Mm -hmm. And it is the leading cause of fucking cervical cancer. So... Let's let cervixes not have cancer. <laughs> this is great news. That's the most uncomfortable way I could have put in that. But that's all I got. Fucking yay. Less cervical cancer. Vaccines work. I'm just trying to remember if I got it or not. I remember there was a push for something when we were in fifth grade, and I got something. But because I was in fifth grade, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I got all my shots in fucking always, but, like, especially in grade and middle school and all that, you know, the shots that you have to get to go to school, that's the mm -hmm. point. Okay, not getting into it now, but that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's. I mean, I don't, I don't have any more, like, the actual science on it. That's what we got, though. It's just cool. Good. Everything's terrible, so you know what? Some good news is always nice. I, it's not something brand new, it's just the results we finally have all brought together. Fucking so, great. Cool. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will discuss Miracle Workers Season 3, The Oregon Trail. So I think Season 1 was the most charming. Cece and I were talking about this last night when mm -hmm. we finished watching it. I think Season 1 was the most charming. I think Season 2 I enjoyed the most. I mean, we talked about it la last time about... Fantasy comedy is literally my favorite underutilized genre. I think you're right. I think season three is probably the best quality one overall. Yeah, I think I, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I really like, I mean, I I don't want to just be, spend every episode of this three-parter of Discovering Miracle being like, I really like, it was great. But Jesus Christ, this one was good. I mean, it's a show about things we like. Yeah. We're going to like it, we've, hopefully. We've talked a little bit about this in uh, uh, our Briscoe County Jr. episode of We Both Have a Fondness for the Western Genre, even mm -hmm. while acknowledging that it's problematic as hell. And this seems very aware of that quick side note 
I actually think Briscoe County Jr. would be an excellent like companion series to watch with Oregon Trail. I agree. Yeah, if I was kind of like thinking one, that would... when I was rewatching it. Well, and because and, we watched it in two days, and I watched the first one, and then I made next day before we finished it off, I was making dinner, and I couldn't remember the theme song to it, so my brain just put in the Briscoe County Jr. theme song, and I was like humming that to myself. All right, just so that we we get people's, mm-hmm. you know, give uh, give these actors and people their due right away, and to just cement who they are again, because I was almost calling them by their other character names when I was writing. I've kind down of some just of picked notes. a name from one season for each of them. Uh, so this season, Daniel Radcliffe is the Reverend Ezekiel Brown. This is my favorite of the roles of him that he's yes. had. It's I mean I really liked Craig in season one, but. And Chauncey was fun, but fucking terrible. Zeke looked like Daniel Radcliffe had the most fun working with it and had the most to work with. Uh, We have Steve Buscemi as Benny the Teen. Also fucking has Buscemi. I know Buscemi did that like terrible fucking uh, Adam Sandler Western, but has Buscemi done other Westerns? Because that... That one wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. I watched it. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I remember seeing parts of it and getting angry at it, but that, I don't actually... Taylor Lautner is the worst part of it. I don't remember enough of it to even remember what it's called, so... But Hurley from Lost trying to act like a tumbleweed had me fucking rolling on the Oh, ground. Hurley is a very charming fellow. <laughs> um, and that's also the movie where Vanilla Ice plays Mark Twain. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> that just made me angry. But... Steve Buscemi, even though he's playing a very, like, Steve Buscemi character and a very joke character, should be in more fucking westerns. Yeah. 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 Uh, Geraldine Geraldine Viswanathan as Prudence Aberdeen. I liked her better as Al, but Prudence was a lot of fun, and Prudence was a bigger stretch for her, I think, as an actress. Like, again, there was just, I felt like the characters had a little more meat to them. Uh, Karin Sony as the gunslinger, a.k.a. Dingus. Why don't you have a name? Names are for family to call you. I don't, or name is for people to call you. I don't got no people. No, I just think it's embarrassing. <laughs> what is it, Dingus? God. I think I like uh, him as Lord Vexler just a little bit more. Vexler's my favorite. This one was a lot of fun, and this one had some of the best lines. Mm. Just throughout the whole, all these characters had some of the best jokes in all of them. He looked like he was having so much fun. Uh, John Bass as Todd Aberdeen. I hated him this season. I hate, this is his best season. By far. By far. Yeah. Again, he had the most to do this season. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I really hope he goes back to a more likable dope. Because <laughs> oh, he's shit. fucking terrible, but he, he did a good job at being hateable. Yeah, and I mean it's not hard to make entitled rich white guy from the 19th century hateable, but but shit. <laughs> and then I guess the biggest the biggest addition I'd say would probably be uh, Quinta Brunson as Trig. And uh, I'm sorry, what's the name of the woman that wasn't back this season? Uh, Lolly Adifope. I feel like this role was originally written, written for, for Lolly. And CC disagreed. Like, I was having trouble getting across because I think she was saying that, like, oh, this was worse because Lolly wasn't doing it or, like, mm. 
but I feel like that role was very much written for Lolly. But the woman who did it, you said, um, uh, Quinta. I'm going to make sure that that's not Quinta, but yeah, yeah, I think it's Quinta. Quinta Brunson. Yes, did great. I thought she was very good. So I am in no way knocking her on. I just I I felt like this role was written for Lolly, who for whatever reason was unavailable. And so they gave it to her and she killed it. I thought the voice sounded more lolly to me too. Like just from what we've seen these past two seasons. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it just felt, felt like a continuation. To, yes. It felt very similar to Rosie or um oh god, what did Maggie from the previous mm-hmm. season? Um oh also Aaron Dark is Phaedra, especially in the last half of the season. That it's was a pretty major addition. Wife? Yeah, 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 from the Noonans. The Noonans was a great joke as someone who has like read about the Mormons and the various weird, fundy 19th century religions that came out. I don't have a lot to say about her. She did her job very well, but she was not supposed to play a likable character. She was supposed to play an extremely fundy weirdo. There is nothing wrong with being religion religious, but you can take it too far. And the Noonans were designed to be the people that took it too far. Because they were everywhere in the 19th century. Tell them how we say thank you. Thank Thank you. you. What was that? What's that actor's name? He was... Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows. I love the little tieback that in season one, he was supposed to To be be a a prophet prophet and fucking turned God down. And in this one... He's a prophet. He declares himself a prophet. I wish we would have had, like, confirmation that it was, like, Buscemi talking to him. I kind of want some reveal that this is all one cohesive universe. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah, that, like, he keeps finding different versions of Tim Eddowes to be a prophet would be amazing. I suppose, I mean, we've been kind of going through these episode by episode, and I do have my notes still broke up that that way. way. But before we go into that, I did want to mention, I do feel like... The other seasons haven't been afraid to kill people. I feel like this has been overall the darkest season. They weren't afraid to just keep pushing at it and, like, making sure you know that, like, things are fucking terrible. On the Oregon Trail, yeah. Um, Yes and no. But I'm okay with that. I love black comedy. I agree with you. Uh, (laughs) I think season one is actually the darkest, but you really have to listen to, like, the background. I mean, season one has so many natural disasters killing so many people, just exploding Mm -hmm. appendixes. But it's just kind of written into this plot that they literally, like, as part of the plot device, they're like, we don't have time to think about this right now. Just keep going. This one, we're down on their level. But this one, they're... They don't play it for jokes in quite the same way. Starting off with a fucking COVID joke in the (laughs) open, in the fucking cold open. Episode one is hitting the trail where the town sucks and they're going to leave to Oregon and they need someone to a lot of setup. Show them. Uh, biggest thing I have on this one. I think the smartest thing they did was having Zeke and what's her character. I keep wanting to call her Al. She's uh, uh, uh Prue. Prue. Zeke and Prue already be friends this season was a very smart decision. Rather than making them get to know them each other. Friend each other twice already. Mm-hmm. And I, and they're great. They're still super charming. I do think it's funny that season one, and spoiler for thing we're going to talk about, fucking spoilers are on at this point. Season one ends with them like dancing and kind of like cutesy implication of romance. Season two, we see them kiss 
and have and they're going to go couple, off together. But like, yeah, yeah, season three, they are boning, boning multiple times throughout the thing. <laughs> this is the most sexual season by far. Yeah. But, I mean, they're very willing to start with, as I said, they fucking open with a COVID joke. Of, all right, if, remember, please all stand six feet. Oh, none of you doing it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just Benny the teen in general is the funniest fucking thing in the world because the obvious is the Billy the kid. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, Steve Buscemi, how you doing, fellow kids? What's up, fellow kids? God, Steve Buscemi <laughs> was so annoying and so good on 30 Rock. Did you see the pictures he dressed up as that meme yes. for Halloween this year? It's so amazing. <laughs> I don't know if him and Daniel Radcliffe are just friends in real life at this point, but like... I hope so. I hope... If nothing else, it seems like they have some kind of good working relationship, or they can fake it really well. I hope this isn't are... like a Shatner Takei going on. Oh, God. <laughs> Not going into that one. Um, it's like they are comfortable with each other. And it almost felt like he became comfortable with Benny extremely fast. Even though a major part of this plot point was him realizing that Benny is an outlaw. Yeah. Cause he, what uh, Joe, nobody, something like that. Is that what he's trying to pass himself something off as like that? Yeah. Jim, nobody, nobody, Jim, Jim, nobody. And he's like, okay. I mean, it's a lot of setup. It is. We, we intro all the characters, but we already talked about all the characters. <laughs> It is one of the better. I think it's a better intro episodes I've than seen. Others. It is a better intro episode for sure than season two, which kind of just took its time figuring its stuff out. This one set us up on a plot immediately. There wasn't really an overarching plot to season two until about halfway through it. Um, I know that we already did an entire episode on season two, but looking back on it, especially after watching this, this season. One? Like, the first three or four episodes of that season feel disconnected from the rest oh, of Oh, extremely. They, it just, they took their time to figure out where they were going. Well, this one, and it helps that the other two seasons have a very definitive end point. Season mm. one, the world will end in six days, or a week, or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. In this one, we are going to Oregon. If we get to Oregon, we done. Or, you know, like, mm -hmm. that is an end point of the story. Two is life sucks and... Hey, we are uh, in this medieval kingdom. And that's great. I loved it. But it is not the same setup for a cohesive plot. So they were able to meander a little bit. And it didn't hurt it. But it didn't necessarily, like, help it when you're looking at the season as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We, Dumb we get Cops to meet is everyone. really great. What is the name of the farmer? He's like the number one B character in this season. Uh, black guy farmer who is... Uh, Lamont Thompson is Farmer John. I liked him. I don't have much deeper than that. I He did a very good job of that. Uh, do we Are we also introduced to, what is it, Timmy, the, the boy with... Young fucking, Levi. Young Levi is the best ongoing joke that he has fucking everything disened <laughs> anything you could die of on the Oregon trail. Like he definitely finds out he has TB in one of the episodes. Uh -huh. <laughs> Might maybe it at the end of episode one. I can't remember for sure. I think he has tuberculosis. He's got, he's got dysentery. He's gets possessed by a demon. I almost 
had my recommendation just be go track down an old copy of the Oregon Trail, but I can't promise that in good faith because I don't actually know if it's, I will be Googling to see if I can find that for my phone. I'm sure it exists. I think there might be an in-browser version you can play. Oh God. I, when I was a kid, I was absolutely the person that hunted Buffalo to extinction, but we'll save that for the Buffalo (laughs) episode. Um, Look, this is a bunch of intros. We didn't talk about the actual intro yet. I love the actual intro for this season. This was a show this season. They're like, okay, we're making fun of Gunsmoke, but in a very loving way. Damn, this intro was everything. And not just the intro, but the intro, I think, showed it best that this is an old school Western, but it's not at the same time. Mm -hmm. And even the places where you're like, well, that's clearly like green screen or like a painted background that you have them standing in front of also felt very old school Western. We don't have the money to put you on location in our case. COVID's fucking happening. Uh, yeah. I watched through this season the first time with my girlfriend. And when we first started watching through and most of the time we had skip intro, mm-hmm. just like fuck that noise. But like, you know, every show you have to watch the intro at least once. Cause sometimes they're really fucking cool. And sometimes they're only like two seconds long anyway, and the skip intro doesn't actually it line takes up. too long, yeah. <laughs> I don't do skip intro partially because I'm lazy and don't have a remote, except for Star Trek Enterprise, but that's a whole different thing that I do not have time to get into right now. <laughs> uh, but like I said, always watch it once, and when we were sitting there watching it once, I just started laughing. She goes, what, like, did, I miss, so a, like, did I miss a joke? And I'm like, it is the joke. And I'm like... The joke is right in front of us on the screen. They're doing this so fucking perfectly. That like kind of like half turn and look at it and kind of like wave or like is so you 60s like, television, 50s television. You do a head movement that locks into place that holds there for like a second and a half. And then you do one last thing and then the camera cuts. And usually like <laughs> something with your hands at the mm-hmm. same time. Steve Buscemi poking out of a barrel. And I actually spent the whole time being like, are these going to be actual scenes from it or are they just making it up? I well, the been... montage at the end is actual scenes. Yes, but I wasn't sure because it would have mm-hmm. been super easy for them to just pull the rest of it too. You yeah, know, yeah. in the same, like on the next episode of Arrested Development, like just make fake, mm-hmm. not actual sequel things. Uh, it would have been so easy to do and it would have been a good joke. But I love that they actually used bits because it just fits with the design so well. Well, yeah, and... Like, my grandpa loved all that shit. And thinking back on it, I actually spent a lot of fucking time at my grandparents' place when I was young. I would have never described it that way when I was growing up. But looking back on it, I spent a lot of fucking time over there. (laughs) Um, And so, like, it just reminded me of, like, catching him in the middle of watching his shows when all of that shit would still run on, like, TV land and shit. Oh, they still do. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they do. I just don't watch TV land. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen TV land in, like, over a decade at this point. So My in-laws, when they get not... Yes, in yes, the in-laws. When they get tired of watching fucking NCIS for like six weeks straight, they'll just flip over to that. So So I was I fucking loved it through and through. Mm. It touched such like I was like they did it. It's I mean, so perfect. I was already enjoying it, but every time that came on I definitely thought of like Tyler's smiling right now, even if he's not watching it. He's just Oh, and I, when I did my rewatch by myself, I was like, I'm watching this every time. Every time. <laughs> it's not that long, so. Episode two is Fording the River. 
This is the one with the Instagram influencers. This is the one with the Instagram influencers, and this is the one where it's this, the talk of morality on the trail. What's yes. the use of morality on the trail? And Benny's freaked out when not everyone is in it just for themselves. This is where we see Benny's journey. This is kind of start. what kickstarts yeah. him starting to become not a, just a murderous bandit. Yeah, we didn't even talk about in the last episode the them breaking out Benny the Teen, but that's okay. It's it's fun. I don't, uh, it's, yeah, I barely remembered them breaking out Benny the Teen. It's not that important to like. It's important to the story, but really, it's more like bringing these people as a cohesive unit. Um, Todd's the fucking worst. I do love making fun of Instagram influencers. Uh, the joke that she got hashtag self care. <laughs> the joke that she got kicked in the head by a horse and now just says stuff, but it's nothing but like modern net slang is extremely good. <laughs> I really like it. It is the whole thing, and then just they're smoking opium and just oh, we don't actually do these things. We just take a picture, and we've seen. I mean, they showed it in this. Those photos take so long and so much effort to make. Oh, uh, and Prue gets all pissed off. Like, yeah. I could actually be doing something. And I came to hang out with you fucks. <laughs> uh, we see Prue. One thing we had never seen from Prue before was any place where she was like submissive or really kind of conformed to what is expected from her. Mm. In the, I, I'm saying Prue, but I mean that actress in all the previous seasons. Yeah. I mean, she fucking. I mean, we've punches. talked about this kind of like Blackadder. It is kind of all just a continuation. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about pre like they're the same person. Uh, you know, in the first season, she's like punching her way into the found mirror or solved miracles, whatever mm -hmm. department. In the second season, she's. I'm too smart for this town. You can't fucking make me. This she's one, always determined to do something. Yes. In this one, part of her, at least until the end of this episode, is still trying to be the good, submissive, 19th century farmer wife. And it's kind of fun to see her. Not, I mean, even, far, still, not even normal farmer wife. Like, farmer wife that made it good, because Aberdeen's fucking rich is balls. Yes. But like, you know, the good kept woman, mm -hmm. basically the like, oh, yes, dear, listening to him. It was kind of good to see her have to do that a little bit, but it was also good to see that she was still very much her herself. She's the person more than anyone else who I think plays the same character every season. And I don't necessarily mean that as a critique. They just went, this works. Mm -hmm. We need you to be this headstrong woman who does make mistakes. She's not just like, I'm, I'm going to fix everything. She causes at least as many problems as she fixes, but I don't know. She had a little more range to work with in this one. And we got to see a little bit of growth here that we didn't have otherwise. Trying to think what else was this? I mean, morale, what's the point of morale yet? This is just like the start of Benny, the teen being like, Oh, Maybe it's okay to look out for other people. I did not think Benny was going to have as much of a journey as he had this season. Oh, his journey is very good. Although partly problematic, even though they're making, we'll get to it. Um, Daniel Radcliffe trying to make the world's most useless fucking raft. And then immediate revelation. I'm not much of a swim. swimmer. <laughs> I didn't grow up around water. <laughs> like, Oh buddy. That was pretty good. I do also feel like, though, 
they could have just like tossed him a rope and he could have just, I mean, something. Yeah. Like they didn't have to throw away all the stuff they threw away. Although there were several places where like, yeah, okay. You probably don't need, (laughs) you don't need to take that in the first place. That full sized piano. Yeah. You don't need that. They, they, they get to the conclusion later in the season, but like young Levi is the one to be thrown. If anybody, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. In the same way, I'm going to keep comparing to Oregon Trail because I played that game so... It was like the only video game I had for the first, you know, 10 years of my life. I super let people die because they were just going to slow me to move the fuck down. Sorry, sorry. young Levi. You did not make it through a lot of games of the Oregon Trail. Uh, Episode three is Hunting Party. This is the episode... That comes up in every fucking Western thing, especially comedy Westerns, but still that I have ever seen where I have that moment where where I go, you've never spent a fucking day in the West. Have you? (laughs) Because on one hand, like they, they were very much overplaying the, like hunting the, uh, hunting the Buffalo turning into like a Vietnam Mm -hmm. thing, which was funny, but Daniel Radcliffe's like, it's just, we could probably go up and pet it. Like, it's just right there. There's so many. We don't even. We could just walk up to it. Do not do that. Listen to him. I'm pointing do right now. You every, can't hear me pointing. Every but. fucking year, we get reports of some dumbass that decides to pick up a buffalo cub and put it in the back of their fucking calf, not cub, buffalo calf, to put it in the back of their truck in Yellowstone or pet the buffalo or get close to the elk because I guess they think that's not that big. They're that big. They're big. They're not deer. They are elk. Those are not the same thing, no matter how much they look alike in pictures. These things are so large. I mean, remember, this was a bear, but I mean, bears come up in this episode. Lewis and Clark fucking shot a bear like 15 times with a musket, and it still chased them away. Yeah. Like... These things, we don't... Very scary. Americans don't think of how big some of our fauna are in America. Like, let's we not get like, started on moose. Moose, moose make me up, shit myself. Moose are straight up megalithic paleothon... No, paleolithic megafauna. They are... They are Ice Age things that just stayed... They are the scariest animal I have ever seen in my life. Yes. A guy I knew in college was like, they're not that scary. I pet a moose once. So I'm like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> they are terrifying. And you know what? There's it's a, an elephant walking around out there. There is a real thing of like hunting bison wasn't as big of a thing, especially in the fucking Oregon Trail. Although I would have loved it if they had a little bit of acknowledgement of how we caused almost two genocides one of the buffalo and one of the Native Americans by our hunting of bison in this episode. But, like, bison are huge. They're not just cows, and cows are already huge. Trust me, I have two of them on my property. Cows are horrifying in their own right. They're so big. As for, we say bears do pop up. The bears are so clearly just people in bear costumes, but I'm not even mad about it. So this episode, I love the cold open for this episode, and I kind of wish that once they figured out the dingus's tracking vision, that they just cold opened every episode that way. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, don't pick it up. (laughs) Don't pick it up. Don't eat it. (laughs) 
Dingus we haven't talked about much. I'm, he'll come up more in episodes where he's a much bigger part of it. Uh, he's fucking great. I do like that they fucking set up Todd in like a pith helmet and khakis, basically. Mm -hmm. So fucking appropriate for every kind of entitled rich shit that he is. This is one bit, though. And I get that it's a plot point, but at the end where he's like, do you, what do you think, Rev? Should I try and make my marriage work? And he's like, no, I'll help you. I'll write a letter. Don't. Don't ever do that. Don't write a letter showing your, or s telling your love, but they'll love someone else. Fucking Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. What's that actor's name? Uh, Peter Dinklage. Pinker, Peter Dinklage has a movie coming up. Facebook was giving me a bunch of ads for it. Some musical coming out where he does this exact same fucking thing where he like writes these letters for someone or to the woman he loves, but like for someone else. Yeah. For yeah, someone yeah. else. I hate this plot point. Well, and I don't blame them for doing it here, but I hate this plot point so much because there's so many wild violations of consent and there's no way that it's ever going to work. This, uh, I mean, last episode was the start of Benny the teen becoming a better person. Mm -hmm. This episode is the hardcore start of, oh, Reverend Zeke is way into Prue mm -hmm. and he's willing to actually do things to start to try to prove himself to her now that they're out on the trail I because do. it really all kicks off when like Prue is trying to like describe how she thinks of him mm -hmm. and then Benny the teen's like oh yeah she's saying you're a whiny little bitch baby <laughs> <laughs> or weenie little be bitch baby I do like that as much as I just railed against that concept they kind of shoot it in the foot by pretty much immediately making it obvious even for the most part to Prue that Zeke is the one that wrote this really terrible love letter. That's just like, you're awesome. Mm -hmm. When he can't pronounce a fucking word. And he has to like in front of her, be like, it, it's, I don't remember what the word is. I don't remember it's, it either. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The fucking end of this one too. the goddamn funeral where, Oh, the this... wife is requesting the description of what happened. This is one of the best jokes and we're not going to go into it because repeating jokes just isn't that funny but uh, Daniel Radcliffe having to explain how a character died and the wife demanding more and it's so awful <laughs> and it's it's oh god it's his comedic timing is so good and I mean he was funny in the later Harry Potter movies when he grew up a little bit and kind of mm -hmm. wasn't a 10 year old anymore but I want to see him in so many more comedies. Oh, while the guys are off hunting, this is the one where Prue wants to become a bandit. I feel like there's a middle ground of, uh, she ends with like, I this is lonely. I guess I'll go back to the sewing circle. I feel like there's a middle ground somewhere between I'm going to go be a like angry outlaw if you're not going to find the middle ground, though, I like what they did and of brought Benny him. to yes, the... Yes, bringing Benny was good. This does have, with Dingus, I don't know why I love him in that bear coat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that bearskin coat that he's wearing so much, but I wanted him to wear that every episode. I like the fit, but I think it makes me look fat. What do you guys think? Oh, my God. That scene was just so well done. 
I also just like the weird big poofy coats that we don't think about because we're like, yes, have them wear tight pants and, you know, a partially unbuttoned shirt for cowboy music, or not music, westerns. But you wore the big doofy bearskin coat because otherwise you would die in the winter. Um, I haven't mentioned it yet, and but it does remind me just all around. Uh, one of the things I like about this season is the Old West is actually probably as close to as brown as it was. Yeah, I did notice that, that this was an extremely, I mean, still... Now that I'm just thinking of Dingus again, I'm just like, not just him, just across the board, because Farmer John was a black guy, like, we got Trig later on. We have several yeah. characters. Uh, the the guy that died in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Leonard? I think so, I don't remember. He only appeared in this episode. Although I think we see the actor in the background a couple of other times. Mm-hmm. What's this? It's like something also, like a quarter of cowboys were black. Yeah. Oh, no, it was a huge number. And that's not even counting the like Chicano people. That yeah. Went into, uh, white people were not the majority for a large part of this. Um, I also like that it had uh, interracial marriages and it wasn't even a thing for a moment. It just was. And that's you. There's a lot of ways where that the old West were really bad, was really backwards, but there was also a lot of situations where people were just trying to get by. Yes. And it were, these things happened all the fucking time. Well, and even <laughs> beyond that, just there's ways cause people are like, Oh no, you can't have this because that would have been inaccurate to history. This is a great example of shows don't need to be super accurate. To, like if you're not trying to be, insanely accurate to history, you don't need to worry about the number of black people. Like, oh no, they can't have that many black people. History wouldn't have allowed it. Because one, history has a lot more black people you're given credit for. And two, who the fuck cares? Like, we can just bring in representation for the weird comedy show. That's a good thing. When we get to something later in the season, I will bring up one of my only big gripes with the season. That does involve history, but we'll get there. I suspect I know the one we're talking about, but we'll get, yeah. Let's see. After Hunting Party is what happens in Branchwater, which, best episode of the season? Like, top two worst case. (laughs) Overall, probably the best. I'm going to call out, this does have, the snake oil salesman is played by Paul F. Tompkins, who is one of my all-time favorite, like, bit actors, character actors. Oh, and not just PFT is in this, but Ron Funches is in it. I was going to say King Shark is in this. I fucking love Funches. I love Funches. I love PFT. I love Daniel Radcliffe (laughs) so much. (laughs) We've talked about, and and Guns Akimbo comes up a lot (coughs) for this, how Daniel Radcliffe made millions as a child and now just gets to do whatever the fuck he wants. But damn, this is kind of the ultimate example of he's like, I'm Daniel Radcliffe. Like, you're not going to stop me. My From name, Paul Ramon, like the best musical number. And he kills it. Oh, he did such a good job. He's so good at that. I, I knew it was coming. Cece knew to some level it was coming because she'd seen like pictures online or mm-hmm. something. But she was just fucking dying while watching it. I'm like, oh my God, is I don't know if that's his singing voice either, but if it is, he's actually pretty good. 
I think it was. I mean, obviously it wasn't. But I was about to say, yeah. It was like a cover or like it was a. He was lip syncing to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To himself is what I'm guessing. That's not uncommon in most Mm -hmm. TV anyways, let alone a singing point. But, uh, goddamn. It's just a, it's overall a really good episode. It's super important because you, you, like, first, oh my god, the starting off with the Rev doing the fucking, the fantasy about the ankles. (laughs) Was fantastic, and you're like, "Oh, Rev's getting horny," and that's hardly a fantasy, particular. Well, it's weird because in the 19th century and the Old West, on one hand, there was very proper parts of civilization. They're like, "Oh, ankles." On the other hand, of the 19th century, they were body as fuck. Yeah, I mean, I've been reading like a lot of Victorian era stuff, or like listening to audiobooks about a lot of Victorian era stuff, which was the exact same thing as in America. It just 19th century, like 1840s to 1880s. Everyone was super horny, but other parts were super like reserved and the disconnect and oddness of that. This episode does a really good job of hitting both of those. And then like he has his crazy bender on snake oil and shit. And that's super important for the way the rest of the season goes. But even the B plot was extremely well done with fucking Buscemi and Dingus. Just before we get to that snake oil will never not be funny to me in like actual snake oil kind of like Mm -hmm. things, even though in the modern day it's fucking, I mean, even back then it was fucking terrible, but like when it's actually called openly called snake oil, it will always be funny. Interesting tidbit, the original snake oil salesmen were not con artists because the original snake oil salesmen in the Old West were the Chinese immigrants. The snakes that they were making the oil out of were from Asia and a different breed from what we had out here, and it actually had some anti-inflammatory properties. Hmm. And then later on, it was just mostly booze. Yes. Which is the bit at the end where they're like, oh, it doesn't actually do anything. Nah, man. If you drank a bunch of snake oil, you probably did get fucked up. (laughs) You probably got really fucked up. Also, you probably died. But anyways, uh, yeah, the B-plot of being kind of true old school old Westerners. Not being true old school old Westerners, but like the having to grow up, having to accept change, kind of in a super condensed version of almost what we see in like Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Like you have to grow up. Although I will say this, I believe this takes place in the 1840s, mm. which is a little early for the West, but okay. The old West has like another 60 years. <laughs> well, they, they mentioned Benny's heyday as being 1823 in a different episode. Okay. So yeah, one that's early for West as you for normally West, think of. Yeah, cause w- which was mostly the second half of the 19th century. That would be most more like, what, like Mountain Men? The line... Early, <laughs> like, the, super hardcores, like, going out into the middle of nowhere? Yes. The Old West is such a weird thing, because it really does go from, like, Lewis and Clark and Mountain Men, and I'm from... We're from Missoula, so I... I mean, I went to Lewis and Clark Elementary. I can't stop myself from mentioning them anytime the West comes up. It just happens. But it goes from, like, Mountain Men... To what we think of as the Old West, to fucking early 20th century, like, bootleggers and gangsters, so fast. It's so weird. It's so fucking quick. That it's, it's... Actually, the weird thing is, even though you haven't got through the games yet, if you play the Red Dead series, you actually get kind of a good take on how quickly it goes. 
I mean, even just look at Briscoe County Jr. They're in like eighteen the eighteen nineties. In some of the true crime stuff I'm talking about, there's people who are early twentieth century serial, basically like mob killers, who know old West outlaws. I mean, they're like old and retired for the most part, but like these worlds pretty much intertwined. So I did have the thought of putting this in the 1840s. One feels a little early and two, like you're having this thing of like, this used to be the old West. There's another half century of the old West, but with what you were actually saying of the, uh, you gotta grow up. Mm -hmm. I get it. There's been points in my life where I've been like, do I need to still be doing, but you know, I, I still watch Digimon, so I really can't say shit. But then turning that in the end to like ending it on like a romance sub beat. <laughs> the romance, not romance between Dengus and Benny the teen is amazing. Yeah. We never really saw. Well, no, in season one, those two interacted a lot, but in such a different way, because I don't remember his uh, Dengus's name in season one, but uh Sanjay. Yes. Sanjay tried so hard to avoid God. While in this one, he's trying to literally catch him. Catch him. I don't know. I, I thought that the balance between the two was the best this season. Mm -hmm. I also found Buscemi's God very annoying. You were supposed to. The, the do you love it? And the idea of like, you can still do stuff. Like, you don't have to. You don't have to grow up and abandon the things you love and have a steady family life if that's not what you want in life. If that's what you want in life, fuck yeah, do it, by all means. Mm -hmm. But I do think, and they don't handle it the most graciously, but the the idea that, no, you don't have to, like, grow up and become a front-end manager at an Applebee's. Right. Is a good message, I think, to have, especially... I mean, we just got out of a month that was dubbed Striketober. <laughs> Fucking bring it on. Uh, episode five is Meet the Noonans. Uh, side note, this is especially hilarious for me. My uh, stepmother's na maiden name is Noonan. Oh, that's good. I grew up alongside a lot of Noonans the next town over. <laughs> These weren't sp supposed to be specifically the Mormons, right? They were just kind of a fundy... It's, I mean, the 19th century was so full of absolutely wild religious things in all directions that it doesn't have to be specifically. It's somebody. both a mix of, yes, their general fundy sect out in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. but also the most recognizable of that is the Mormons. So they're the ones that succeeded. Yeah. It's not a stretch at all to introduce a character that refers to themselves as a prophet. Not at all. The 19th century in every section of the Western world had weird people dubbing themselves prophets and forming wild religions. This guy's not even that weird on the scale of real. If you ever want fun, go look up crazy 19th century prophets. This dude with the like three foot rule and the uh, God loves a three way kiss. That was so good. That's so that's funny. tame. Oh my god, three. Our Lord has wide hips. <laughs> I can't not think of that guy as Caleb the Cannibal from Brooklyn Nine Nine, though. Like I know he's mm. been in a bunch of, but mm -hmm. for me, 
he's Caleb the cannibal. So that definitely adds a little like, Ugh. this is another one where she, she steps up and has the, uh, helping him get married. I'm like, stop doing this. Right. Because, because of the last episode, where she finds out crew and Zeke have a talk and she's like, well, we could never really be together anyway. So she's like, you don't, you don't want to be the, the family wrecking preacher and I'm married and this just isn't going to work. And so he, she's like, so maybe go find your happiness. And then the Noonan show up and an extremely quick romance happens between him and Phaedra and they're going to get married. And then Prue screws it up. And then Prue helps it come back together. And by the end of the episode, Zeke is married to Phaedra. I get that Zeke was mad for Prue for ruining stuff and for immediately being kind of jealous after being like, no, I'm married. But also being married to a Noonan by like, oh, he was up till nine. He stays up till 930 sometimes. Like being (laughs) married to a Noonan sounds legitimately awful, even for a very religious man like Zeke. So, I mean, yo, if you're both already into mortification of the flesh, though, like you're kind of on same wavelengths. <laughs> okay. Um, and then there was also like the Noonans had to stop and help them because they had gotten attacked by Trig. Mm-hmm. And this is where who we is Betty's estranged daughter. Uh, daughter. I love that he has a black daughter, and they'd never make a deal of it. Mm-hmm. They just do again suck at neckbeards who I'm sure were livid about this somewhere. Uh, and we had found out that he had a daughter in episode three mm-hmm. and that she had uh, shot him in the back. Mm-hmm. But now here's Trig and Benny's trying to reconnect and he's kind of the worst. Oh yeah. But he is trying. They're very <laughs> willing to let Benny be awful. Mm-hmm. Almost too. I definitely was on her side when he starts coming in with the like, well, I'm just a leader. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fucking shoot him in the face. But don't, because he's Steve Buscemi and he's a national treasure. But shoot him (laughs) in the face. Yeah, he is the worst this episode. Um, I don't know. She's not much better. The titled White Savior is, but we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, he is extremely, extremely condescending. We do get a little bit of the fun of him and Dingus together again in this one, the bit where they have buried Dingus Dingus. and they're going to leave him out there. This is way cooler, isn't it? Isn't it Dingus? Oh no, you could just shoot me. That was just well done little, they did that to people. Mm hmm. And worse. This was horrible. And worse. And worse. The goddamn um, dresser instead of the stripper. Oh, yeah. Had me fucking rolling. I got to make it rain. It's alms for the poor. <laughs> alms for the poor. <laughs> My wife once, in the like first year we were together, I'm trying to play... I think it was like Old Republic. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to play a video game on my computer on the bed. And she decides to be, you know, cute, annoying, like couple annoying. Mm-hmm. And she fucking started doing this like six (laughs) years ago, putting on more and like every coat she had. And she found her fucking high school graduation might have been college graduation, but like 
gown and everything, <laughs> and she was full on like child snowman at the end, trying to be sexy to me while doing this and kind of succeeding because I'm very in love with my wife, but uh, <laughs> different, not for now. Um, and she was like, they're doing my bits. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking funny. That's great. I don't know, like... It ends and Trig and Buscemi haven't killed each other again yet. <laughs> like, If I remember, this is the last one where they're really... After this, they kind of fully give up on these two are trying to kill each other right now. Mm-hmm. And it moves on to the much more interesting, oh, fuck, we've become friends. Uh, the next episode is uh, Independence Fourth Rock. I really loved this episode, actually. I think this is also in the running for, like, top three of the season. Well, I mean, they never say it out loud, but the whole running, I'm going to, it's kind of the gag of the episode is that minorities are America. Yeah. Minorities are America. Get fucked. White supremacists. uh, Treating it like Christmas. And I don't think you could have, I mean, there were, large parts of Christian religion up through the 19th century, where if you celebrated Christmas, they would react how the Noonan reacted to fucking 4th of July here. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you could tell that story in modern day television because people wouldn't get it. Because it's only within the last like century or so that Christmas has really become, I guess, two centuries. So... I do want to pop back around to that, to that, but I was just thinking with the last episode, this episode, the next episode, which is white savior is the really like, he's fucking terrible in the episodes, but these are the huge, like Benny arc moments. The last episode is him, even though he's terrible at it, reaching out and trying to reconnect with his daughter. This episode, he's realizing he doesn't still have to be better than his daughter. But at the end of the episode, that leaves him not knowing who he himself is anymore and having to try to find Yeah, that. he's no longer the number one outlaw. This is probably my favorite episode for Benny the Teen. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's super good with kids and, like, they're his little gang now. <laughs> uh, kidnapping Uncle Sam because they're going to blow him up is just choice. I do critique this episode for... It is very uncritical of like American patriotism. Yeah. And I'm a little more critical of American patriotism in 2021, although I am also a patriot. So there's those conflicting feelings, but I don't know. I I guess I didn't notice that as much because I was way focused on the fact that I was like super happy with how they were framing the, like, look at who the patriots are. Yeah. Look who isn't people of color. And the guy that was a very clear, like, this is a gay pride parade, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, my Patriot R is always right. That guy guy was designed to piss off Ted Cruz, I feel like. Yeah, right. (laughs) 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 Overall, I mean, I didn't really have... I didn't really have a lot of notes on this episode, though, because I felt like if you watch it, it kind of speaks like it's not subtle, about any of it. It's kind of speaking for itself. I felt like here is where, uh, Zeke and Prue start the affair. Right. I kind of feel like Zeke got married entirely because they needed them both to cheat on their terrible spouse 
otherwise there I almost feel like there'd be almost a power imbalance. Mm, mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the right word, but I don't have a better term for it. Yeah. But I agree because uh, it it is a little bit worse to have only one of them cheating. I mean, cheating is bad. Right. Do not cheat. But also, don't marry someone you met 10 minutes ago and don't marry whatever the fuck Todd is. <laughs> How is Todd more entitled than Prince Chauncey from the last season? How is Todd alive <laughs> after he becomes like tick butthole man at one point? <laughs> so like many ticks. Oh, that's something I forgot about from the uh, what happens in Bakersfield or whatever oh, the yeah. fuck it was. He loses his fortune in that episode. Mm. But the next episode, he's just fucking rich again. I almost would have liked it if they had gone a couple episodes. You still could have had the like season finale stuff where he's everything he is in those, but a couple of episodes where he lost his fortune and actually had to be poor. Yeah. Could have been interesting. And I, I kind of thought it was a missed opportunity that they never dealt with that. I think that would make him too sympathetic and would make the the ending It also would have made me off, have so. to deal with more Todd, which I'm not a fan of. <laughs> Again, this actor did such a good job. I am in no way talking about actor whose name I don't know. John Bass. John Bass. John Bass is so charming at playing a dingus. He just... But Todd is the worst. Oh, my God. <laughs> Todd is so bad. Uh, episode 7, White Savior. I don't, I have my only note in my two notes on this season is no Benny. No, but yeah. However, this is another episode that kind of speaks for itself. They tell him exactly every way he's being fucking racist in that episode. I don't know how to deal with this episode. And I feel like I need to do a little bit more research before I can really comment on it. Like if that makes any because it's very much trying to call out the white savior trope and all of that. And thank God she like slaps him when he goes for the kiss and all of the like calls him out on every bad racist trope. But I also know that, that white people don't have a great track record of writing native people. And I can't say like, oh, they did a great job because I don't know if they did a great I think they tried. I think they, you know, did a lot better than a lot of other shows have done. Is this the only episode to show native characters? Uh, I think it is. The lead writer on this episode is, I believe, native. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, Kelly Lynn D'Angelo. Uh, I believe she is uh, Haudenosaunee for her tribe. So just to actually. Excellent. I, I believe she was writing Blackfoot. Was, I want to. Instead, but there are very good parts of this episode. I just feel like I am far too white to comment I mean, look, on how well it's actually done. I'm mostly not white, and you still. I'm not. The... I'm not necessarily native, but I'm indigenous mostly. Yeah, like I felt like they did a fucking fantastic episode. Okay, I trust you much more than I trust me. My family's from Norway. I'm whiter than a polar bear. I don't, I don't like to try to climb na claim native. I do have a measure of native blood. My mom is enrolled in a tribe, but I do not have a high enough blood quantum to be enrolled myself. Well, and as you said, you are indigenous. Yes, but I am mostly indigenous. Um, 
I thought they did a great job. The weird thing about this episode is that in order to comment on the way that white savior narratives are played out usually, you still have to let Benny the teen go through all of those steps. Mm -hmm. So the way they do it is they let him do everything, but the whole time is it's only because the situation's already fucked. So he still goes through all the motions. It's just that there's commentary for each bit of it. Technically what you would quote unquote want to see is just like the white savior narrative not happen, but you can't comment on every step of it unless you see it happen. And I think that's where it feels weird. But the whole point is even in a situation where they let him do it because they felt like it couldn't be worse, he still almost kind of makes it worse. No, he absolutely yeah. openly are like, you made this, you yeah. made this terrible. We out. only let you do this because it was a situation you couldn't make worse and you still fucking did. Well, and he never quite figures it out, which is very appropriate for... Mm-hmm. Shitty white guy. Uh, and I think the most telling bit is where he's insisting on talking about his feelings while there's a whole fucking battle happening around him. Cause I have fucking met people who would probably do that. The what one is thing that I- actress's name. Sorry. Do you know real quick? Because I, I, I want to say her name because I very much liked her. Uh, Marissa Quintanilla. Uh, Quintanilla. I really, I, I just, I wanted to get her name out there because she has to do a whole bunch of the lifting on this episode. And I thought she did a really good job. So this, this is a weird thing that I've been noticing more and more lately. I actually kind of wanted to bring it up on one of our other podcasts when we were talking about Danny Moonstar, mm-hmm. but it just didn't fit in naturally. Now, I guess at this time period, since you pointed out a little bit of, little bit ago that like this is actually more like 1840s for in my head it was still more like 1870s until you brought that that up until they bring up the i don't have as big of a problem with it knowing that it's 1840s rather than 1870s but we need to get away with uh do away with natives only having bows and arrows in a big bad way when they took up guns they Definitely took up guns. You can, like, there are, uh, like, contemporary drawings of battles from that time period, and you almost always see at least a third of the native war force with fucking guns. Mm -hmm. And honestly, depending on the tribe, if they had good ties with, like, the French, uh, they probably had better guns than the U.S. Army did at that time. Not hard. Um, We'll say... There is a bit of stereotype in how the natives were portrayed here, but also, I mean, kind oh, of also on, just get away from wearing only buckskin leather. That's not that was not true, ever. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, fucking Hollywood hire people who know how to shoot bows and arrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. All of them, and this was one of the most egregiously bad of the way they were shooting, being like. Oh, that's not going anywhere remotely close to what you want it to be doing from like the way you're holding that. And the, but also because it was miracle workers and because of the nature of this show, I, it didn't bother me as much, but I just, any, ever since I have learned how to shoot a bow, it fucking kills me. Uh, and I'm more forgiving. Not that it doesn't bother me. I'm more forgiving. Not necessarily this show, just in general, uh, I need to see a lot more fucking lances from some of the Plains tribes. Mm. 
throwing that out there. Okay, you know what we really just need? We need a fucking show by Native writers with a mainly Native cast following the tribes in the, like... In the, like... Like a Western show from the Native side? Yes! Or even fucking earlier. Yeah. Do one from before white people came and fucked everything up. Like, it's... More Native representation. And you can do some cool shit with that time. Yeah, there's some cool fucking shit. (laughs) Anyway... It's kind of a weird little personal gripe that every time I see, I'm like, why is it only, like, everybody's got a bow and arrow, nobody's got a fucking gun, you treat guns like they're fucking magical. They had guns. They were good with their fucking guns. It is definitely a thing of Westerns. They couldn't couldn't just go to town and buy a gun. If you're going to critique Westerns, you kind of have to show the flaws of Westerns at the same time. So parts of the Native representation felt kind of stereotypical. Mm -hmm. Also having... The native episode kind of bothered me, but at the same time, if you're going to have a the native episode, I think this is a decent one. No, I think this is a great one because if it's the native episode, it's the one calling out how every other the native episode is fucking usually, terrible. Yeah, you get almost no Daniel Radcliffe. Like he's in the cold open and the closing scene. Mm-hmm. Eight is over the mountain. This is in their full-on they-banging episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, they full-on banging. <laughs> they are having all sorts of Bible studies. She is crying out to God. This has the best moment of physical comedy that I have ever seen Daniel Radcliffe do. And it's where he's invented the little bicycle machine that hits him oh in the nuts. <laughs> we almost had to pause the episode because Cece and I were laughing so hard. Like, I missed things because I was laughing from it. It was so, just... so good. The Yeah, it's the curse trip. Granny McGill keeps spontaneously combusting. This is the episode where it... The show starts going a little more into slapstick than it had been before. Mm -hmm. And it will keep this up for the rest of the show. I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. I just noticed that, like, the semblance of reality that they were kind of keeping for the first half is done. But as someone who is still slowly watching through Briscoe County Jr., they do the same thing there. That's a pretty standard move. They're having the affair. Zeke is having guilt trip because... He's pretty sure that God is cursing him and the group for having he's the technically leading the group. Phaedra keeps telling him that as long as they're being led by a godly man, that their trip is going to go fine. And, and bad things keep happening. Mm-hmm. And I am not sure if I think that it was the right move by... They sure make it seem like Phaedra's right in this one. People mm-hmm. keep spontaneously combusting. The kid is turned into a little exorcist <laughs> so kid. fucking good. Uh, things break. Part of me wants it to be not actually that, that it's almost like his own fear is making this true. While your own fear doesn't make little Levi a fucking exorcist boy. Or granny literally catching on fire, like you're talking about. But I all- mean... I see. I wouldn't have said it before, but now that you brought up sort of like the slapstick angle, like this episode reminds me more of like a Leslie Nielsen movie. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a shift in the way that the humor has been done that they will keep up for the rest of this series. Yeah, where 
both like these weird, not necessarily non sequiturs, but these weird, uh, absurdist, almost like super inflated things like the kid being fucking possessed are just as true as it's not actually God. Yeah. I mean, supernatural shit starts happening in this episode. Like, that woman spontaneously combusted, and not only did no one mind, she didn't even seem to be hurt. Well, it's happened, is, it's happened a few times now. <laughs> yes, that is a complete departure from how they have run the show up until this point. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my biggest thought here, other than Daniel Radcliffe getting hit in the nuts with a hammer, is should not be as brilliantly pure a moment as it, I literally can't talk about it without make like laughing a little bit. I mean, even the episode closes out with just like flashing back to him putting the fucking bike together. <laughs> just, they oh. knew that this was the selling moment. Uh, the the biggest. Oh, Todd fucking wrecks the entire wagon train. Oh yeah, Todd destroys it. Todd is absolutely awful. How fun would it have been to send that fucking wagon train off the cliff, though? It's kind of like being the pyrotechnics guy on Smallville. Like, there are some jobs in life that I just want. Like, I watched that clip a couple times of just being like, (laughs) oh, it would have been so fun to just be, like, 20 foot up the hill being the one, like, cutting the rope and, like, seeing it just... Also, (sighs) gotta say it, as much as I hate Todd, it's gotta be so much fun to play him. Oh, yeah. Especially from, like, this episode on. Where he goes completely nuts. Uh, the the biggest things of this episode, I think really, like, plot-wise, everyone finds out that the affair is happening. Mm-hmm. They break up because he flips out and is like, oh my god, lord, I'm so sorry I sinned. And she's real mad about it. But also, it does stop the random, like, lightning storms and... Bad shit? And possessed people. Like, and curses stopped. Fire. Yes, curses. Literal, uh, although she didn't seem to know up to that point. This is a weird episode, I think, more than anything else. Is she kidnapped at the end of this one, or is that next? Yes, yes. Yes? Because... Todd joins up with Because Trig. by the next episode, Trig and Todd Trig. have made it to okay. Oregon. That's the other big, uh, mm-hmm. not, not to talk about this episode about that, other than Todd goes full against the wagon party, which he hasn't quite done up to this point, kidnaps her, and, and escapes off, off to Oregon trig. while leaving them to die. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the next episode, unless you have something else on this no, one. No, no, that's about all I had. Um, the Donner Party episode. Yeah. Nine is stranded. Uh, it's Yeah, I wrote it down as the Donner Party episode as well. Or the opening scene of Red Dead Redemption 2 episode. Yes. Good pull. Yeah. Good pull. Um, Look, it's like the only part I've played, man. (laughs) This is like where I ran into my only gripe of the season. Where, hmm. Once again, now realizing that this is earlier than I thought it was. I don't know when Oregon uh, became as shitty, shitty as it was for all the brown people that were in that group. Oh, it got real bad. Because up to this point, like there have been kind of like lesson episodes, I guess you could say. 
including like a very out and out like minorities are America. And then it's a, still a super good deal when everybody gets to Oregon, which was notoriously a sundown state at one time. And it's even Trigg who gets there first. Well, and it's one of those things. Real quick side note, the guy who plays the mayor, I have no idea who he is. I've seen him in other things. Uh, Bobby Moynihan. I thought he was so charming. Yeah. Like, that makes me sound like a 45-year-old <laughs> white woman. But I just thought he was so charming. Um, I just... I really liked him. This one, with Oregon Trail, they really did romanticize how Oregon was. When they first arrived, Oregon is everything <laughs> that Oregon is promised to be. That was kind of funny. I did kind of laugh at that. Which was hilarious, but also I definitely had like... Oh, no, that's not. And I didn't even think about the sundown state. You're 100% correct. I was thinking of like, do you need land? We have all of this. I'm like, yeah, because you fucking stole it. Now, this early on, now that I'm thinking about it, the fact that it's the 40s and not like 70s or later, maybe not a little bit better. Bad. Yeah. I'm never going to pretend America sure was when never racist that, or yeah. not racist at any point. But the Wild West got significantly more racist post-1860, what, seven? Yes. Post-1870, like post-Civil War. Mm -hmm. Because a bunch of Confederates went West and they fucked a lot of shit up. We were already fucking a lot of shit up. The West is a very horrific time in American history in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, but it got a lot worse to be black after the Civil mm -hmm. War in the Wild West. It got a lot worse to be uh, just a lot of things in general. Like, Old West was a lot more progressive for women than people realize. Yeah, because yeah, it had to be. Yeah. and Because they will die otherwise. Mm -hmm. We like to think that everything is, like, Victorian-era middle class if it's before, like, the 1960s. But And I'm not saying it was perfect, but it's also not what... No, it was horrific. It's also not the popular conception of what it was. Yeah. Honestly, Briscoe County Jr. does a surprisingly good job of depicting... Mm -hmm. how it was if you want to kind of see while also still being overly romanticized westerns um, <laughs> but once again now thinking about the fact that it's earlier it doesn't bug me as much but it still was like after having like message episodes I think it was it easy it stuck out more that's fair I think it was easier for the dark ages season to kind of let go of the fact that this was a very romanticized, not realistic, idealized view of the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, than this mm -hmm. one of the Oregon Trail. Partly because, you know, again, we live in Montana. Like, this is shit we know. And partly because it's just closer. Like, it, you know, the Oregon Trail is not that long ago. It was... This series takes place, in theory, 180 years ago. Yeah. Give or take. That's a couple of generations. About five, but still. So some of the places where they kind of, like, romanticized or papered over things were a little more uh, noticeable? Uh, that being said, I mean, I guess by the end of this episode, though, Todd does have the Oregonian populace wearing red hats, so... Make Oregon bad red bowler hat is the dumbest physical like prop comedy joke that I also laughed very hard at. This season was so willing to be topical 
and throw shade at people in ways that mm -hmm. not much TV does. Even TV that's pretty progressive isn't usually willing to that openly throw jokes at fucking Trump supporters. But good, do it more. Yeah. Um, so on one side, a bunch of the people are still up on the mountain debating on whether they should eat each other. The Donner Party. On the other side, Oregon is too good. They have to fuck it up so Trig can feel like a real outlaw there. I don't care for that being the plot of a black woman, mm -hmm. to be entirely honest with you, because it is the most white man power move that we've done through large parts of history. And especially, well, I think the part where it feels weirdest for me is that it's not Lolly Autophobe. Does that make, because we've talked about how in a weird way, these actors all kind of feel like continuations of the character. Mm -hmm. So having a new black woman suddenly just have to become an outlaw rather than it be this established character who is technically not the same character, but we've been following through the seasons and this just happens to be who she is this season felt a little bit worse. Agreed. I can give you that. Again, she kills it. No, yeah, no. She not that she doesn't do a good job. I'm not but, saying that. But, but yes, there is something a little uncomfortable about the black woman arrives and is like, I'm going to destroy this town now. Enough to, like, put me off the series? Not even a little bit. No. But if I'm going to critique something, the fact that this class is too good, I have to fuck it up. It screams a little Cadillac Queens if I want to look too closely at it. Um, the fact that Todd immediately takes that to like, not just 11, but to like 17. Doing his best to be fucking Caligula, basically, by the next episode. Caligula, Nero, Trump and Trump Jr. all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a little bit more this episode. The Caligula Nero comes in more next episode. Yeah, I mean, he straight up dresses like a Roman emperor. Oh, my God. Uh... Zeke has lost his faith on this one. Mm -hmm. I love the running idea that uh, Daniel Radcliffe can grow an insane beard in no period of time. I like he's done it in multiple seasons now. I kind of like that he was eating dirt again. Is that fucked up to say? <laughs> <laughs> he's eating dirt again. He's got his beard from season one back, episode one. Uh, he's lost his faith. The, the moment they bring him back in, he's like, yes, let's eat people. <laughs> On one hand, though, you're, Yo, fucking you're all die. dying. I'm eating somebody. There's a reason I have trouble listening to the Donner Party stuff, because it's kind of their own fault that they were there. But once they were stuck in that situation, I don't blame them for eating the people who were already dead. No. I do get fucked up by the one guy they found in the Donner Party later that, like, there was still one of the oxen bits left, but he was eating the pe dead people because mm. they tasted better. Now, he'd had a complete break from reality at that point. It just makes me uncomfortable. Yes. Does, like, this conversation of whether or not you would eat a person has come up an uncomfortable amount of times at work. Does that happen on your guys' side of the store? Not as often. But yes, it has come. <laughs> I work in a kitchen, man. Of course that's come up. Also, our fellow Irver member, Malark, who I've been friends with since mm -hmm. I was fucking 14, 15 years old, when he was being super edgy in high school, you know, like, I mm -hmm. mean, he's 
I'm making fun of him in the story, but he was 15, 16. His way of being like super edgy, but letting him, letting you know that we were like friends now is he would make up a recipe for you <laughs> of how he would eat you. And like on one hand, come on edgelord. On the other hand, I still remember his exact recipe and like how happy I was when I got one because it meant that we were tight now. Like, would you have tasted delicious? Like, did he give you a good recipe? Oh, yeah. I was thin sliced over spinach with a raspberry vinaigrette. Oh, okay. See, it does sound good. It sounds pretty Other good. than the people thing. Yeah. But, you know, I'm given the situ- right situation, can get past that. It was 2003. We were 16. <laughs> the, like, trying to be edgy. That That is, like, peak trying to be edgy yeah. <laughs> period of life and time. Um, Glad you got a good recipe, It bro. was great. Yeah. As I said, I make fun of him, but I still remember that. Very specifically. Have you ever, like, just made that for yourself with, like, pork or something? No, but I do like raspberry vinaigrette very much. Okay. And now I'm tempted. Yeah, I see. We're probably actually going to uh, uh, prep one of the cows. Because, I mean, mm. I I live on a working farm. So maybe with some of Jump Jack Flash. That's probably traumatizing someone who's not used to this. I'll admit, I'm fucking terrified for that part to come up, but not to what we're doing. I don't remember what it was. I'm trying to remember. But the very next day after watching this episode, something else came up talking about how they have a bit of like pass the butt. Yeah, yeah. The butt is legitimately supposed to be like one of the first best places to eat. Oh, yeah. Because... It's the nice mix of, like, fat and meaty spot. Yeah, eat the butt. I know, it's just... Pop. <laughs> eat the butt. Because at okay. the time I'm like, heh, they said butt. And then they mentioned, I'm like, oh, no, they were actually, like... Daniel was right there. Everybody out there, eat butt. Or jowl. Jowl. Pork mm. jowl is fucking tops. Mm. I'm getting fucking hungry. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Todd becomes governor. They decide to come down off the mountain. And not kill young Levi. (laughs) Don't eat young Levi, by the way. He has too many diseases to safely eat him. Yeah. I mean, beyond just the moral thing of do not kill and eat a child. But also, you will get something. And as I said, I'm pretty sure they said he has tuberculosis. Don't eat something that has tuberculosis. That ain't the... Yo, young Levi's got the fucking T-virus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is just, that doesn't turn out good for anybody. Uh, end of the trail, last episode. Uh, of young Levi, I, I don't have much on this episode. Of young Levi, the best bit he might have in this entire series is when they're, like, using their, what skills they have to take someone out, and he coughs on them and goes, now you'll die in 10, <laughs> ten years, and runs years. off. <laughs> and the dude's just like, oh, man. <laughs> like, that's a good joke. That well was... done, young Levi. The best part of this is Daniel Radcliffe having, and it, it, the problem is it doesn't top his coming around the mountain burlesque dance, mm-hmm. but him having to do a sultry dance of all seven sins. That was so good. Is And being like, envy, fuck. Uh, uh. I'm envious of you? And he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know, and I'm jumping immediately to a different part of the episode, sorry. I don't know why Todd getting shot with the cannon and then it not being a big hole and him looking through it completely pulled me out of this because the rest of the battle was so slapstick. I mean, they play the gunfight almost more like, 
I don't know, like, uh, like a football game and like an eighties comedy. Yeah. Like bad news bears or something like they're calling timeouts and shit, <laughs> which is funny. I feel like this episode went a little too slapstick on that part. I feel like there's a way that you could have played it a little more serious while still having a lot of the kind of jokes that they had in it. But I also am not unhappy with the episode. I, I mean, like, I love that Daniel Radcliffe bit and stuff, but like of the three season finales, this might Probably be the weakest, the weakest for one. Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then they have like, oh, I guess not everything's perfect after all. Okay, I guess we'll do what we can and fix it up. Literally, it was perfect like two weeks ago as a running gag. It's not that hard to go back to it. No. No. Shouldn't be anyway. I don't think Todd fucked it up that much. He only had two weeks. I mean, they did fuck up quite a bit, though. You saw them fucking it up. (laughs) Uh, Oh, this is from the previous episode. But great fucking joke of they reveal how terrible Todd is. And the one guy's like, oh, I hate that I'm going to still vote for him. Oh, this is, I feel bad. Anyone who feels called out by that fucking should. Yep. I hold no apologies on my thoughts here. I don't know if I have much more to say, though. Nope. It was that, good. That this is not a notes. bad episode of this. This might be the worst episode of the season, but it does tie things up. Well, sure. Seems like Prue and Zeke are going to be some level of in charge of fixing things up, which I mentioned that I thought last season that they were setting Chonsley up to actually be a decent King. Mm -hmm. I'm much more comfortable with the idea of Zeke being in charge of something than, than Chonsley, than Chonsley or Craig from the first season. I mean, Craig, Mm -hmm. that was never really a thing, but like, Zeke actually seems like he'd do a decent job. And I admittedly get uncomfortable in the modern day with the idea of a preacher being in charge of like anything that's not a church. But Zeke seems like he'd do pretty good at it. I'm okay with it if that preacher is Jesse Custer. I'm okay with it the if guy that from preacher? <laughs> I'm okay with it if that preacher is Jesse Custer and he's in charge of hunting down God. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> God, that was that one took me a moment. Um, I should say, I mean, there are politicians I like who were or are preachers. So I mm-hmm. understand that it's not. We just live in America and the separation <laughs> of church and state is a very touchy subject. So. Yeah. Um, sweet. I guess. Do we just go to our recommendations? Then? Yeah. Uh, oh, they announced a season four within the last. Oh, they announced it in November 2021. So within the last eight days. Oh, brilliant. Good. Have they announced what it's going to be or just that there's going to be? Not that I've seen at least just there will be a season four. Hell yeah. I get the sense. I mean, they must still be making a profit off of it, but even with the viewership way down, just the good press they're getting from having Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe on this show is enough to buy them another season, maybe two. Yeah. And I mean, like we, we looked before once we, sort of started doing this series at what the numbers on the seasons were doing and season three compared to the other seasons. It's I think almost like half of the first season also. And the thing we got to remember, this is 2021. Everything's fucking wild right now. Right. Well, I don't know. I think those are like the live numbers. 
Who the might, fuck watches it, live? It might still be doing really well on like streaming and shit. Yeah. That Check could also out. be doing it for it. I have no idea. I'm just glad we're getting a season four. I'm I'm very excited. Um, recommendations. Go recommendations. My recommendation is going to be uh, the other thing that I was ingesting that I forgot to mention earlier. So that's I'm just a classic recommendation move right there. Uh, so it is going to be the latest two Ice Nine Kills albums. Um, I got recently turned on to them. Ice Nine Kills started as a scene band called Ice Nine. Like they were like a MySpace scene band. I vaguely remember them. In later years, I guess, like, three or four albums ago, I think they changed their sound up a bit and started adding in a lot more uh, deathcore elements. The last two albums are fantastic, and I have been listening through both of them almost nonstop for the past week uh, in between, like, playing video games and shit. And it's The Silver Scream and Welcome to Horrorwood, The Silver Scream 2, and they kind of started doing this gimmick where every song is based on a horror movie. That sounds so up your alley. It's <laughs> so it's like, it's this harder, it's, it's, it's more on the metal side, but you can very much tell they started as a fucking scene band. Like there are segments of their songs. You're like, oh, this just sounds like the used or, oh, this sounds like fucking fallout boy. But then there's also parts where you're like, oh, this sounds like fucking Black Dahlia murder. Or like they work in like a pig squeal and you're like, what the fuck, Lorna Shore? Anyway. To be honest, Fallout Boy is not actually terrible. No. Um, I super enjoy it. There's a, They know that it's a gimmick. They kind of play into it. It's kind of campy. That's uh, okay. They kind of go theatric with it. Some of the songs include some just terrible puns that I'm gigantic fans of. But some of them are also just extremely well written. Like the one based on the fly, the lyrics interpreted a lot more as like um, almost like an Icarus flying too close to the sun sort of story as trying to reach the edges of scientific advancement and that they're relating that kind of flying to becoming the fly. Interesting. Okay. Fucking fantastic. And the latest album, uh, Welcome Horrorwood, Silver Scream 2, has an added layer of their sort of a meta story, making it a bigger concept album, where supposedly the songs are being used as evidence to prove that the lead singer killed his fiance, and that's obviously fictionally. But that's also being explored in like their videos with these little vignettes before and after some of the videos. This is giving me very hardcore like Coheed and Cambria and Alice Cooper vibes. But the, the part that's great about it is like, oh, they know what they're doing so well because the little bits are like the cops trying to figure out what the the clues are and shit. And the lead detective is played by a horror icon and legend, Bill Mosley, uh, who people might remember from House of a Thousand Corpses, or uh, he was one of the Largo siblings in Repo the Genetic Opera. He's enough of a legend that I recognize the name. And, uh, and he was, I'm traditionally horror reverse. And Chop Top in uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, which involves Dennis Hopper dual-wielding chainsaws, so everyone should also watch that. Anyway, <laughs> your, <laughs> your recommendation. <laughs> uh, I got two. 
Um, first, and I don't have much for either one. They're just both really good. First, I have started listening to Jean Grey. She is a uh, hip-hop musician. Mm. I do not know enough about the genre to say literally anything about her. Okay. I like her. It is spelled, uh, Grey is spelled G-R-A-E. Okay. Uh, I discovered her because when Griffin McElroy was on paternity leave from My Brother, My Brother and Me, she filled in for an episode Mm. So, you know, she's a weird, nerdy dork if she's on one of the McElroy shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, extremely good hip hop. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I'm check so it out. not musically inclined. And then my other one is uh, the original Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah. Sweet. If you want a good Western, and it's got all of the problematic tropes of most Westerns. So just like, be aware of that going in. It's Yul Brynner. It's classic Western. It's one of the best Westerns ever made. There's a reason we know the Magnificent Seven. Well, and it's also Seven Samurai. Yeah, I know. But it's... Okay, yes. 100%. And also go watch original Seven Samurai. That's fine, too. But Magnificent Seven, it's easy to write off how good it actually is based off the fact that it is a complete steal from Seven Samurai. Yeah, I watched it like three months ago. It's a very good movie. movie. Yeah. Um, All of the... Oh, my God. They're... There was a reason that cast was fucking movie stars. Those guys have such fucking presence in that movie. Mm-hmm. They kill. Holy shit. Yul Brynner is a handsome man. Um, Oh, God. that's I love Mag 7. I also love playing the theme on my clarinet. I also love Seven Samurai. <laughs> I also love Seven Samurai. There's so many good choices here. There's that Seven... Samurai 7. That's the one. It's also... That's a fantastic retelling. Really find any retelling of Seven Samurai, except maybe the most recent Magnificent Seven movie with Chris Pratt in it. It's not Um, that bad. And fucking who else was in it? That uh, uh, remember the Titans guy? Oh, Denzel. Denzel. I cannot do names today. Uh, The best. The best part was Ethan Hawke and Lee Byung Hun. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Lee Byung Hun, especially, but mm -hmm. I fucking love that guy. Next week, we'll be going to Arrakis, bitches. Yeah. Uh, our buddy Will will be back again for something not Pokemon related for one of the first times. This is, I think, his third appearance. We will be doing, thanks to timing things, we will be doing the most recent Dune movie, followed by the 1984 Dune Lynch movie. And I'm so excited to show that to him. Because <laughs> he's read the book and he's seen the new movie, but he hasn't seen the 84 Lynch. Ooh. I'm so happy. Um, That's we, the one we should do a watching party on. Oh, I'm. We both have copies. That's not a yeah. hard sell for me, my guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. It'll come up. Next two episodes are going to be Dune related. Both of them. Uh, check so it out. Happy. I'm so excited. I love Dune. Um, it's wild. In the meantime, <laughs> we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, 
check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.